is. When you look at Jacob, he was born the second of two twins, his older twin being Esau. And the Bible describes his birth as one where he grabs his heel and is born holding on to the heel of his brother. He was born in second place. That's kind of the attitude that Jacob has in life. It seems like he's always running in second place. As he gets older, he tries to buy his brother's birthright with a bowl of beans, a bowl of lentils. That doesn't seem to work out because later as he goes to get a blessing from his father, which belongs to Esau, he has to deceive his father with the wool of a sheep to uh, deem that he's hairy enough to be his brother, and he tricks his father into this blessing. And so he, he's always in second place, and he's always trying to figure out how to get ahead or how to get that blessing. And sometimes I think we can relate to that in our life because we go through problems in life and we struggle in life and we're always trying to get ahead or maybe I want to accomplish some things and it seems like we run in second place all the time and we get frustrated. And later in life, Jacob is deceived by his father-in-law Laban into working 14 years to get the true woman that he loved, Rachel, And Laban deceives him by giving him his oldest daughter first. And so he has to work another extra seven years for Rachel, the one he truly loves, in order to marry her. And then as he works for Laban all these years, he amasses these flocks and this great wealth and He leaves Laban, and Laban chases after him. And as you read here in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob's kind of in between a rock and a hard place. And I think about the children of Israel sometimes and how they're stuck between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army, and they're going, what do we do? And now he's stuck between Laban and his men, and now he decides, I need to go home. I need to go back to the land from which I came. And he takes all of his his children and his flocks and herds and he heads towards his brother Esau. But he remembers that Esau was angry with him. And he's afraid Esau is going to kill him. And so he decides to send his flocks in waves. A couple of waves are groups of animals over to Esau, and he sends these messengers, and the messengers come back and says, listen, there's 400 men coming of your brother. He sent 400 men. And you can imagine the emotion that's in Jacob's mind. There's 400 men coming, and the last thing he knew was Esau wanted to kill him, or he figured he did. And so he sends these animals, these flocks over in waves, hoping that it would appease his brother. And then finally he sends his children and his wives. And Jacob is left alone on this side of the the river. He's all by himself. He has let everything that he has owned go in hopes to appease his brother. And now 
Jacob is alone, and he, we began to read here in verse 32. I mean, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. When he saw that he had prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for he said, for he has seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. What an interesting passage this is as Jacob is alone, and he wrestles with this, this man, this form, and later he calls him, I've seen God face to face, and so he's wrestling with God. And in my mind, I kind of see the picture that we had up here before where Jacob's physically wrestling with this man. And, and I've always wondered, how was it that Jacob had enough power in him to wrestle this man? And yet this man had the ability to touch his thigh and to put it out of joint. Really wasn't a match. But here is Jacob wrestling with him. And so... As we think about that, I ask you, have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever wrestled with God? I believe I have. I wrestle with God all the time. Up until this point, everything Jacob has done has been of his own accord, of his own deceivings, and of his own mind. In other words, in order to try to get ahead, in order to try to get into that first place or succeed in something, Jacob is always doing what he wants to do and never ask God and is never depended on God. He's always depended on himself to achieve what he wanted in life. And many times we're like that. You see, we go through life and we want to get ahead. We want to achieve. We want to do and we always feel like we're in second place, and many times it's because we are, because we're depending upon our own devices. We make plans, and we read books, and we say, this is how I ought to do this, instead of going to God, instead of wrestling with God and asking his will in the matter. And at this point, when everything else Failed. Jacob is alone with God. I'm going to tell you something. Most of the time when you get ahead, it's because you come to a point in life that you're alone with God. When it's just you and God. And your dependency is totally upon God. And Jacob found himself in this place. His family's gone. His flocks are gone. He hears from the messengers, 400 men are coming, and he, for all he knows, are coming to kill him. And so it's just him and God, and he wrestles with God. And he asks God for this blessing. 
and he wrestles to the point where this man says, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you give me a blessing. How was it that he wrestled with God? In Hosea chapter 12 and verse 4, as it refers to this story about Jacob wrestling with God, it says, yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. How was it that Jacob wrestled with God? Was it in a physical way? I don't believe so. I believe that he wrestled with God with weeping and supplication. This is how he had power over the angel. Did that mean he had physical power over the angel? No. But he had power to touch the heart of this angel because he wept and he made supplication. Now then, supplication is one of those big biblical words, but supplication is a type of prayer. And it's not just your prayer, regular prayer. You know, we pray, thank you for our food, and then we pray, thank you for our blessings, But then there's those prayers where you're laying on your bed and you're weeping with tears because you don't know what else to do. And you're crying to God, God, please help me. That's a supplication. And that's where Jacob was. He was at that point in life where there was nothing else. He was alone. He was by himself. His family had gone. He didn't know what else to do. There was no deceiving his father. There was no more deceiving or bargaining with Laban, his father-in-law. There was no more arguing with his brother. There was nothing else but to go to God. And he made supplication to God. And he wept. And he prevailed. You know, many times we prevail with God because we come to a point where we weep and we make supplication. And this touches the heart of God because then we're dependent upon God. It's at that point when we give up ourselves and we say, God, I need you. I want your help. You see, up to this point, Jacob didn't ask for God's help. Up to this point, he deceived, and he connived, and he made plans, and he lucked out, if you will, to say, and he was always in second place. And now he made supplication to God. He's alone with God, and he wrestles with God, and he prevailed with God because of his humility, his weeping, and his supplication. Now then, what did he want? He wanted a blessing. Don't let me go except you bless me. Lord, I'm I'm not going to let you go without this blessing. And so God says, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. That's interesting. God says, what's your name? He said, my name's Jacob. Well, there's a meaning to the name. You know, a lot of times we name our kids by how it sounds. We get a baby name book and we go through and we, we look at boys' names and we look at girls' names and we, we say those names and does it have a ring to it? You know, does, is it something that's gonna come out easy when we get mad at them and we can say all three names? 
But back then, they named people because they had a meaning. Names had a meaning. In Genesis 25 and verse 26, it says, After that, that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. When he was born, he was named Jacob because he had a hold of his brother's heel. And Jacob means heel catcher or supplanter. And so his name was given to him based upon what he had a hold of when he was born, the heel of his brother. And so his name actually meant heel catcher. And so he lived with this name that always meant you're going to be in second place behind your brother all the time. That's what it meant. And I'm sure that played in his mind. I'm always behind my brother. I'm always in second place. And so as the Lord asked him his name, what is your name? And he said, my name's Jacob. Then he said, here's going to be your blessing. Your name is now Israel. Now that didn't mean he'll never be called Jacob again because we read in the scripture where he's called Jacob again, but what God is telling him is you're no longer in second place. I'm going to give you this new name, this new name of Israel, which means prince with God. You see, now he's moved from second place to a prince of God. A place of prominence with God. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful feeling? When we go through life thinking we're a nobody and we, we just never can succeed and our life's a mess, and yet at that point when we submit to God, he can make us new again and he can give us a relationship with him that he can make us princes in his kingdom. That he can give us a place with God. And so he gives Jacob this new name, the new name of Israel. That was his blessing. Do you wrestle with God for a blessing in your life? You see, we all want blessings from the Lord. We expect God to shower blessings upon us so that we, we can just bathe in them. And sometimes our attitude is, well, because I'm a Christian, God's just going to pour out all these blessings on me, and it's going to be like getting in the shower in the mornings, and all those blessings are just going to be, you know, just because God loves me, and he's going to pour them all over me. And that's not how God works. God wants to give you blessings. But he wants you to understand where those blessings come from. He doesn't want you to depend on yourself, and then all of a sudden when you're behind in second place, I want a blessing, God, because I'm in second place. He wants you to understand that he is the giver of all blessings. And a lot of us are not willing to wrestle for God, wrestle for our blessings with God. We don't want to humble ourselves a lot of times. We just want God to pour out these blessings, and we just want God to bless us just because. When God says, you need, you need to ask for them. You know, we think our children rude sometimes when our children just, we, have, we raise our children and we give them blessings of our home, and, and then children sometimes get to a point where they just expect it. 
and sometimes to a point of being rude about it. But I need this. And then all of a sudden we think, we step back and go, well, who are you? How come you're so rude? You need to ask for it. You need to be polite about it. Don't we do that sometimes? And sometimes as children of God, we get to a point where we just expect God to pour those out, and sometimes we're rude about it. And God says, wait a minute. Who are you talking to? Where do these blessings come from? In Luke chapter 11, we get a teaching about asking God for things. In Luke chapter 11, verse 5, it says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is uh, in his journey, is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are, are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. And I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he shall rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now, this is an interesting parable. And Jesus is talking about relationship, asking God for blessings. And he says, you know, there's this occasion where we want a blessing and we go to the neighbor and we knock on the door and say, I've got company coming. I'm in a pinch. Can you give me some bread? And the people in the house say, no, the kids are in bed. It's too late. I can't give you bread. It's a bad opportunity or a bad time. But finally, after persistence, that's what importunity means. He just keeps knocking, please. I need this. It's important. Come on, please. And finally, after a little while, the man inside the house gets up and gets bread for the visitor. And he says it's not because he's his friend. It's because of his importunity. It's because he continually asks. He keeps on and he keeps on and he keeps on. And finally... He gets up and gives the bread. I think about when we were, our kids were little and, and uh, we would go to the store and they would ask for something. And I'd say, well, you don't need that now. You don't need that right now. And there were times when they would accept that and, you know, they never thought about it again. And then there were times then it was something they really wanted, and you know, they would ask for it, and I'd say, you don't need it right now. And they'd say, please, Daddy. And pretty soon they're pulling on your sleeve, please, Daddy, can I have that? Please, Daddy, I want that. Please, Daddy, get it for me. That's how kids are. And you know what? Finally, we buy it and we give it to them because we're tired of it. We say, okay, okay, and we get it for them. This is talking about our relationship with God. Sometimes we ask for things from God that we probably don't need or really don't need, and God knows that, and he says, well, I'm not going to give it to you now, and pretty soon we forget about it and we go on our way. It really hasn't changed our life or it's not a life-changing thing. But there are times when we make supplication. 
when we're down on our face and our knees and we're praying to God with all of our heart and we ask God for these blessings and we say, please, Lord, help me. And because of our importunity, God helps us because he deems that we really need that thing. Notice in this passage, it says, and he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. Trouble me not. What this passage is teaching is we need to trouble God (laughs) by our importunity. A lot of times, our need is based upon our asking. How we ask, how many times we ask, and what frame of mind we ask. And so we can ask God and trouble him, but then he says, okay, just don't trouble me. But we keep on troubling him by our importunity, our continual asking and seeking God, and God gives a blessing. And I believe Jacob was was troubling God. He was wrestling with God. He was begging God. He was pleading with God. He was making supplication. He was weeping. He didn't know where else to turn. And so he turned to God. Sometimes in your life, if if you go down through life and you seem like you're in second place all the time, and you get to a point where you don't know where else to turn, Here's the lesson. Turn to God. Turn to God. Wrestle with him in weeping and supplication, and God will answer your prayer. Now then, in Luke chapter 11, he goes on to teach, or he teaches, he goes on to teach this principle in asking, seeking, and knocking. And a lot of times we read this passage, and In verse 9, it says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And so we we read this passage, and we say, Well, I've just got to ask, seek, and knock. And it's not that flippant. It's not that simple. He's not saying, Okay, just ask, seek, and knock. He's saying, You need to ask then you need to seek. Now, seek is, is a little more than just going, okay, I opened the door and looked inside and it wasn't there. You know, kid, our kids used to do that. We'd say, go look in your room. They'd open the door and go, I can't find it. That's not seeking, by the way. Seeking is when you go in the, into the room and you open the door and you move the pile of clothes and you look on the, sh- the bookshelf and you lift the pillows and Look under the bed and in the closet, that's seeking. And when we're wanting something for God, a lot of times we just want to open the door and say, God, it's not here. I want you to help me find it. I want you to give it to me. In that case, we're not seeking. Seeking means that we need to search God's will for what we want. And then he says knock. And knock is that importunity that we've been talking about. That means you need to make make your presence known to God. That's what knocking is. Have you ever looked on the porch sometimes and there'll be somebody that delivered something to you, 
Sometimes the, the UPS guy's like that. He'll run up on the porch and just put the box there and maybe tap the door and you don't, don't really hear it. And so you don't know the box is there until later in that evening. You open the door and there's the box. What if he put the box on the porch and then he knocked? To let you know it was there, you would know it was there. And God's saying, when you come to me, you need to knock. You need to let me know that you're here. You need to come before God with you and him alone. And you need to say, God, I'm in your presence. I'm here. I'm asking you and pleading with you and seeking your will in this matter. And sometimes we just go through life and we go, well, God's, God's will will be done. And, and we never see what, or ask what God's will is. We just say, God's will will be done. And we go through life doing what we want to do and how we want to do it. You need to seek God, just like Jacob did. When he was alone and had nowhere else to turn, he finally submitted to God's will. And he asked God, and he sought God's favor, and he knocked. He said, God, help me. And God blessed him. In James chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even your lust, that war in your members? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Now then, lest we disbelieve that we can go before God and get the million dollars that we really want, <laughs> we need to understand that he's not going to just throw you anything that, that could be bad for you. As much as my children bothered me when they wanted that, that item they wanted so bad, if I knew it was going to hurt them, I wouldn't get it for them. None of us would, would we? Buy anything that would hurt our children. And neither will God for his children. Now then, this is kind of an interesting principle. He says, your wars and your fightings, they come because you lust in your members and war in your members. This is something I want. That's the desire. Why do we have wars? It's because somebody always wants something that somebody else has. And they don't want to work for it. They want to take it from them. That's what wars are for our wars are created out of. And so God is teaching us, when, when do these fightings and wars happen? It's when you lust for something and you want something and you lust for those, but you can't have them be, because you didn't ask for them. You just wanted to take it from somebody. You didn't work for it. You didn't ask for it. You just wanted to take it from somebody. You just lusted after what somebody else had. And you don't have it because you didn't ask for it. But then he says, just because you ask for it doesn't mean you're going to get it. And he says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. So just because we ask for it doesn't mean we're going to get it because God knows what's best for us. And if it's something that's going to harm us or we're just going to waste it, God says, you're not going to get it. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. 
you didn't ask for the right reasons. Now, I'm sure if Jacob had wept and made supplication to God and said, God, let me win the battle over Esau. Let me kill him and all of his men that are coming to get me. That God wouldn't have given it to him because he didn't understand the situation. God had already taken care of the situation. Just because you ask for something doesn't mean God's going to give it to you. But you have to seek his will in the matter. Does it bring glory to God? And what Jacob was given as a blessing brought glory to him. It brought glory to God. As you read through the rest of the Old Testament and, and what we study, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel was the father of the 12 tribes that we read about so much in the Bible to carry out God's plan to bring Christ into the world. So your, your asking must bring God glory in all that we ask. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. People say, well, I have faith. I believe in God. But do you seek God? Do you seek him? Do you knock on his door? Do you weep and make supplication to God? Do you submit yourself to him and his will? Because he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Who's God going to reward? Those who diligently seek him. God wants you to seek him. God wants you to come before him. He wants you to come before him in an humble mind, with a pure heart, understanding where all blessings flow from. And when we do that, God will bless us. God will help us. He will bless us like he blessed Jacob and made him a prince of God. This morning, if you feel like you are in second place, if you feel like in your life there's nowhere else to turn and you have problems to the point, well, I've done this and I've done this and there's nowhere else to turn and my life doesn't seem to be getting better I want you to come to God, just like Jacob did, and wrestle with God. What that means is with weeping and supplication,